politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight the issues that actually matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. If that is your goal, it's a tall order. But this is the right place you've come to see our podcast. Daniel Horowitz back here today for Tuesday, the 13th of December. Tuesday, the 13th, but every day now feels like Friday, the 13th. Um, We could have never imagined we would be dealing with an issue of died suddenly, where literally they would wipe out an entire poison, an entire population of the globe, I guess 5.5 billion worth of people, most people, most adults especially, with something that reprograms your genes, your body, affects potentially every organ systems, your blood vessels, kills millions of people, injures hundreds of millions of people, and then we're just at the short-term, mid-term effects. I could never believe it. But what's even more unbelievable is the fact that it's not even the top issue. It's not even an issue at all. Right now, I have to peel myself away from... uh, uh, Governor DeSantis was holding a roundtable, kind of like the way Senator Johnson does in Washington. He's doing in Florida on vaccine injury. He had uh, people who are vaccine injured on, and he is promising to go after them. Accountabil- accountability measures. By the time you hear this show, you'll know what his outcome is. Um, I'm just watching the uh, panelists right now, and it's like, that's it. There's nobody else doing this. There's nobody else doing this. The amount of people who need help with diagnostics, with detection, with treatment, the amount of people, and and that would be crazy enough if they were done with this, but they're still doing the COVID shots. Next year, they're going to have the RSV ones out, if not the flu shots as well under mRNA. Where is this? What is going on? So today we're going to, do another deep dive into the latest safety signals, answer all your questions, all things vaccines with Dr. Jessica Rose. But first, I want to get to a couple of housekeeping stuff. You can go to conaction.network if you want to sign up for one of our Liberty Strike Force teams. Obviously, we're going to be pushing banning the mRNA shots in these red states. We're going to be pushing grand juries to be convened, trialsandexecution.com. You can get a hold of our book. It's going to come out in about six, seven weeks. But our first sponsor today is Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative mobile provider. A lot of these companies offer free iPhones, but they're not because they basically lock you into a long-term contract, and then they also build the price of the phone into, into your monthly bills with hidden fees. And then, of course, they build in censorship, spying, and using your money to uh, promote the Fourth Reich. With Patriot Mobile, it's just the opposite. Uh, They can show you how to get that same iPhone interest-free without games and no contract. That's the key. So they offer nationwide coverage, the same coverage all the others offer, except they they not only don't fund your demise, they actually fund uh, fights for God-given rights and freedoms. Uh, Patriot Mobile is also offering a performance guarantee. So if you're not happy with your coverage, again, there's no contract. You can switch to any of the three cartel carriers for free. Go to PatriotMobile.com slash CR or call 
their 100% US-based customer service team at 972Patriot. Again, get free activation today with offer code CR. So if you're fed up with the woke companies, here is a chance for you to actually change that. Join the movement today at patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972Patriot. So folks, one of the most amazing data points that's out, some of you might have seen this, some of you might have missed it. I want to go over this. Rasmussen did a survey of of 1,000 adults in the U.S. Did you take the vaccine? And if you did, were you injured? And they divided it into major and minor injuries. And the big thing, because we're trying to hone in on kind of what percentage so far have been injured. And according to the survey, 7% reported experiencing major side effects. And that's really a bullseye of what we've been seeing in so many ways. So I want to go through some of these data points before we bring on Jessica to discuss the latest with VAERS and some other stuff. But uh, I, I, I want you guys to think about that. Now, that doesn't cover people who died because people who died, well, they can't exactly answer a survey. They're dead. So by definition, uh, you know, a, a live poll, a survey is going to self-select for those who didn't die of their injury, at least not yet. 7%. Do you understand what that is? That's 12 million people in the U.S. suffered major injury, nobody to help them in most cases. Globally, I think that works out to something like 385 million people. Yes, that's a holocaust. The reason why this number is such a bullseye is because it it jives perfectly with the VSAFE data, CDC's own data, 7.7% had enough of an injury to seek medical care. Now, these are all different measures, slightly different measures, because if you had a major injury self-reported, you know, in your own words, it doesn't necessarily mean you sought medical attention, but there's a pretty good overlap there. 7%, according to Rasmussen, had uh, an injury they, they considered to be major. And then 7.7%, according to VSAFE, had to seek medical attention. Interestingly enough, um, I, I just, I, again, I mean, it's not necessarily exact, but it does work out exact here. Only 56% reported, at least in their mind, experiencing no injury. And and of course, that means no apparent injury, but we all know that a certain percentage of those likely, you know, like let's say someone got cancer from it, but they wouldn't know, and they didn't experience that malaise right afterwards, so they would say they didn't experience a symptom. But nonetheless, 56% reported not experiencing side effects, Just just about half. It's interesting that um, we talked about this before. This Australian paper had an online survey, and 44% of people regretted getting the shot. So it's just kind of interesting there. 44, 56%, you know, that would be that that would be the number of people that experienced some sort of side effect. But anyway, we've noted before this the seven percent makes makes a lot of sense because. Um, there were two Saudi surveys that seemed to indicate 7% experienced 
one, one survey, 7% experienced side effects for more than five days. Another survey, 7 to 8% experienced chest pain or shortness of breath, anywhere from 9 to 13%, depending on the dose or whether it was AstraZeneca or, or a Pfizer, experienced uh, fast or irregular heartbeat. One of those surveys, 2.3% reported being hospitalized, although it was a small sample size. So that is roughly the number that I think is very accurate. Um, in terms of those who experienced immediate, self-evident, significant injury. Now, how many of them were permanent, got resolved or not, is a different story, but that seems to be a pretty good, accurate picture. That's 12 million in the United States, 385 million globally. Now, again, that doesn't account for the creeping development of ailments later on. You know, long-term disabilities, autoimmune disorders, diabetes, um, cancers, which clearly is happening. And, and that was a different survey, if you remember, the Children's Health Defense uh, Fund funded this Zogby poll that found 14.8% of all adults answered yes when they were asked, were you diagnosed by a medical practitioner with a new medical condition within a matter of weeks to several months after getting the shots? And that was 14.8% said yes. And that number was really, it was, I forget, it was like in the 20, 25-30% among younger people, which consistently we've seen it affects younger people more, possibly just because the lipid nanoparticles are able to uh, utilize the body's machinery much more aggressively um, the same way cancers utilize the machinery of, you know, young, vibrant cells more aggressively. So this is a similar concept. Um, that That's the gist of what Dr. Cole has explained on the show before. So th th this is just the opening bid, and it's that bad. couple other um, tidbits I want to get out again today before we get on Dr. Rose that I think we might have missed with, with just the focus on some of the political news, which, by the way, there is a lot more of that. They're, they're working towards an omnibus bill. Looks like they're going to get it, unfortunately. Because, again, we don't have conservative media focused on the issues that matter, the people that matter. They focus on R's versus D's, which they're fighting over nothing. They're not focused on pressuring and battering the D's into some, the R's into submission. But anyway, folks, uh, look, inflation is here to stay. Biden and the Democrats are emboldened. Republicans are going to continue uh, funding this. By the way, I don't know if you saw 382 billion deficit for one month. One month. That used to be the annual deficit, even after spending was out of control a decade ago. I remember like going crazy. Oh my gosh, we got a three four hundred billion dollar annual deficit, a monthly deficit. Unbelievable. Most ever in a month. So, folks, how are you going to protect your hard-earned savings that go to negative? Gold has always been the oldest and proven form of currency. Um, it's there for you when inflation soars. And that's why Birch Gold is so thrilled to introduce a new product that reimagines gold as currency, the gold back. It's kind of a cute, cute uh, thing here. The, the month... This month, you can get a free gold back for every five thousand you purchase. So typically, I forget what the limit is to put your uh, to put money in an IRA. It was like sixty two hundred a person or something. And then you could do for your spouse. 
as well. If you do it by December 22nd, so you only have another week left uh, to convert it either to an IRA or 401k, you get this free gold back coin. Um, how to do it, text Daniel to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold. And then you could talk to one of their specialists and they'll walk you through how to convert that. If you don't want to put your 6,000 or so into a cartel this year, put it into gold with um, Birch and get a free gold back to boot. Um, it would make a great Christmas gift. So once again, text Daniel to 989898. So, folks, there's two interesting FOIA emails that have been released. One was from the Israeli Health Ministry. It was a letter from the Israeli Health Ministry to the European Medicines Agency. That's like the European FDA. They knew about myocarditis as a threat in younger people as early as February 2021. They flagged it, had a bunch of questions in there. And, of course, the public was not enlightened. But then again, folks... We don't even need to go to February 2021 because we know now from the people in the clinical trials in 2020 that they knew about it. How do I know about this? Josh Gutzko on his Substack, you could look it up. It's G-U-E-T-Z-K-O-W does good work. He has on his Substack, he, he's like a FOIA machine. And he got a hold, I don't know if this was from FOIA necessarily, but he got a hold of two contracts that CDC signed with different vendors. One of them was with the original one was with General Dynamics to basically handle the VAERS reporting. The original contract was $9.45 million. And, and here's the thing. This contract was in August 2020. And they were expecting... You know, they basically were saying, hey, what to expect, the workload, the hours, the billable hours they would need to uh, um, sign for, for General Dynamics to sign up for. It was up to 1,000 reports per day with up to 40% of them being serious in nature. That's what they expected. And obviously, as we well know, the rate of reporting for 2021, if you look at the reporting in 2021, it was definitely a lot more than 1,000 per day most days. But they knew that in August. So he does the math that um, if you take the baseline, you know, just typical VAERS reporting based on per, you know, something like 2.8 billion shots per year we typically have. So he adjusted it for what they were expecting to do. It That means they were anticipating a 600% increase over the average annual number of VAERS reports in recent years, and then eight times the rate of serious reports. <laughs> they knew that. That's what I'm telling you. It wasn't like, oops, I burnt the toast. This was premeditated. Then they found out. So you say, all right, well, okay, you know, they're prepared for the worst. No, but then once it was actually being implemented... And they, and they had the shots on the market for a couple months. It overshot even their most dire you know, estimates. In early March 2021, they amended the contract in order to process an estimated 115,000 backlog reports received up to February 28th with an increased capacity to 25,000 reports per week. So there you're getting more, you know, not 1,000 a day, but more like three, 4,000 a day. The plan was to have 
the backlog cleared within six months. And basically, he goes through a couple contracts. They kept upping the hours, the cost. So they knew before, during, early on, getting worse. There's no other way to explain this. That is a premeditated genocide. That's not experimental. Experimental is you didn't know, and you did it without running the typical traps you do. And then as soon as you know it, you see the problems, you you pull it. That's bad enough. That would mean, oh, you foisted an experimental jab upon the public. This wasn't experimental. Now, it's experimental in terms of we still don't know the full scope of everything it does, which is likely a lot more than what we already know. But what we already know and what they did know before they even released them to the public and certainly within the first couple of weeks is that it was it was unconscionable. It was a holocaust. And they kept doing it. Josh puts out an interesting quote here he found from the contract with General Dynamics when they were kind of playing up theirs. And it's a very good um, uh, intro to our next guest. So he notes, the U.S. government considers surveillance for any licensed and new vaccines through VAERS to be a nationally critical function and VAERS activity to constitute essential services for which any lapse in coverage of services would be unacceptable. So they played up the importance of VAERS. And then once we started using it, and the first being our guest, they played it down. They were like, oh, that's unverified. That's just anyone could do that. That's nothing. And yet they themselves admitted in a $10 million contract this was one of the most important things. And that very pharmacovigilance tool was showing them a Holocaust degree of problems. And they covered it up. And it's bizarre. Kevin McCarthy and no Republican except for DeSantis as a governor, one governor and one senator, Ron Johnson, is talking about this. Everyone else is like, oh, maybe the origin of COVID, maybe a little bit the mandates, but even then, they're passing an omnibus bill that's going to continue to fund the the, um, healthcare mandates, certainly on the medical field. I'll get into that a little bit more tomorrow the whole fake fight there with the omnibus bill. But this is the problem. Republicans and Democrats, the way it works is Democrats go 10 light years to the left. I don't even want to call it the left. It's genocide. Republicans travel with them. Then they take three baby steps to the right back from where they are, and it's over that territory that conservative talk radio fights. Oh, the R versus the D but they ignore all the territory that the R's agree to, and rather than holding them accountable, they carry water for them. That's the difference of this show and every other show. That's why I need you to be my ambassador. Send this to every friend and relative you have. Give us a five-star rating with a comment on iTunes. It really helps us with the algorithm. And then also sign up at ConAction, C-O-N-A-C-T-I-O-N dot network. Um... If you want to join a team, basically what we're going to do is this. If I get people who look like they're competent, understand the legislative process, they want to be a team leader, we'll try to get a couple people to lead the team, one person mainly, but maybe get a few helpers within the state. And then I'm just going to give you the names of everyone who signed up who wants to be a part of that state team. 
and we'll try to get as many as, as possible. I can tell you we have a great team in Iowa, North Dakota, um, ready up and running, working on a couple of others. So we'll talk about the political stuff a little bit more tomorrow, but I want to delve more into vaccine injury stuff today with our special guest. Now, one person we haven't had on nearly enough is Dr. Jessica Rose. She's really been a machine, put out so much good stuff. She's an immunologist, biologist, mathematician. Um, but she's really been that vanguard of the VAR system, really what our government should have been doing and our governors and senators and all these people should have been doing. She paid attention to CDC's own pharmacovigilance system that, as we just mentioned, um, you know, thanks to Josh Goodsko's great work, we have a government document now stating that they thought that this was nationally critical function and a critical infrastructure that any work stoppage would uh, would be unacceptable. Well, she didn't stop looking at it and looked at it from day one. It was like, oh, whoops, uh, this is not just like one or two orders of magnitude beyond what we typically see with a vaccine. This is an entire other universe. And first, I want you guys to go to her Substack, Unacceptable Jessica. Um, just really good stuff. It's, it's a must-read. You don't know anything about the shots if you're not reading her Substack. Um, and we'll find out where else we could find her work. Oh. Dr. Rose, thanks so much for joining us on such short notice. Uh, thanks. That's so nice of you to say. Um Lovely. Uh, I appreciate that. And, and yeah, it's kind of shocking that uh, the owners of the data aren't finding all these very interesting things that I keep finding in VAERS. All you got to do is have an idea and go have a look. So I first want to just bring you into the discussion we're having so far, um, the macro, the very big picture, and then to get into some specific elements. So in, in the broad sense, Rasmussen just came out with a survey that 75, uh, 7% of Americans in the poll identified as having incurred a major injury in their you know, estimation. And I felt like, wow, that really kind of bullseyes where some of the Saudi surveys have had it, 7-8% marker, 7.7% um, of those in the V-safe system uh, had a clinical-level injury where they sought uh, some sort of medical practitioner for help. Um Looking at that data that we have now, isn't it interesting if, if you take the VAERS U.S. numbers for um, doctor's visit, urgent care, hospitalization, and you multiply it by that kind of like eh, 25 to 30 underreporting factor, which you were honing in on, and the V-safe seems to indicate, it's interesting that you kind of get close to that 12 million that the Rasmussen survey, if extrapolated evenly to the pop full population, the 7% of those who got the shot in the U.S. would indicate, is that kind of a good rough number for those that, let's just say, immediately incurred a uh, injury beyond a headache? Uh, yeah, well, by my calculations that I literally just did now, um, as part of my, my weekly VAERS update, I, I update my website where I do count the number of severe adverse events uh, together, which includes uh, hospital room visits and emergency room visits. I also only count the emergency room visits and hospitalizations. 
But for the severe adverse events, by my count, if you um, use the underreporting factor of 31, you get just under 11 million. So yeah, it's it, it's very much in line according to what you just said. Um, by the way, the, the normally within the VARES um, database, according to the VARES handbook, the normal level of severe adverse events percentage-wise of the total is 15. And from the very beginning, like January 2021, even late December, we've been consistently above that with regard to severe adverse events. And latest assessment is that we're well above that. We're up to 19%, um, if I'm remembering that correctly. it's. We are well above the norm with regard to severe adverse events. And this is really important for people to understand. Um, there are over 1.4 million reports of adverse events in the context of the COVID products. That includes Moderna, Pfizer, Janssen, and Novavax. Um, and of those, again, it's almost 20% that are severe, and that includes death life-threatening uh, uh, life illnesses, disabilities, birth defects, hospitalization, or an ICU visit. So, yeah, it's kind of staggering. So that, that's an important number that we haven't focused a lot on. You're saying whatever your, your, your universe of injury is, the percentage of those injuries that are severe, and that, you know, to, to get around 20% is significant. It seems like uh, to their credit, they knew about it beforehand, but uh, had no problem unleashing it on us, which is pretty unbelievable. Um, here's what I want to know with your, some of your latest emerging trends. I would have thought that by now, you know, the take up of the vaccine has kind of ground to a trickle and you shouldn't be seeing a lot of new entries. Are you how what are you seeing in terms of new entries? And could you tell by the timeline of the, the duration of, of, you know, how long they, they've had the shot. Are you starting to see midterm, long-term injuries, or are those things people just will never trace back and aren't reported? Well, it's, it's hard to, to answer. I haven't looked specifically at that, but I can tell you that as the, as the reports, um, or as the data is updated weekly, the number of reports is still climbing. And this uh, encompasses a very wide range of adverse events. Uh, the last time I counted, there were over 14,000 different metric codes being used to report these things. Um, and as for new types of adverse events, eh, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head that's, uh, that's more striking than what we already had. And I don't want to downplay that. What we've already had, what's been consistent for two years now almost, is is tragedy. I mean, I've been counting uh, Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease cases from the very beginning because I noticed that there were Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease reports in VAERS in the context of these shots. And that was really concerning to me. So just last week, it's not new but we had an additional three reports. And that doesn't sound like much, I suppose, to the average person, but when you figure, you know, when you find out what Kreutzfeldt-Jakob is, it's a prion disease, um, and, and the fact that it kills you within a year of diagnosis, 
generally. Um, this is very concerning. Uh, just today, I this isn't new. It's just what you, you happen to seek out in the data in bears. There's an enormous amount of information in there. And imagine you have over 1.4 million people's reports with like 50 variables of data. And so I decided to go into, it was very depressing, um, but I decided to go into the exposures uh, to product uh, out of context. Uh, what I mean by that is based on the exclusion criteria uh, on of the clinical trials, women and men were warned under certain circumstances against going anywhere near these products. For example, if women were pregnant, uh, if they were lactating, uh, men were not allowed to donate sperm. Um, if they had recently been injected, for example, uh, these kinds of things. So the bottom line is they, they were very clear when they designed these trials because they, they knew that the products at least were in the testing phase. Maybe they knew they were dangerous because they'd seen toxicity studies that didn't look good. But they, they did put out these, um, these warnings in the context of the trials, don't get exposed. So I pulled out the VAERS reports today um, that have the word exposure in them. Now, most of these are in the context, are mo most of the MEDRA codes associated with exposure involve pregnancy, but most of the reports involve exposure to SARS. So what I did was I siphoned off the over 16,000 reports of exposure to only uh, collect the data that involved exposure uh, to these products in the context of a pregnant woman. And I found just under 2,000. Um, but the worst news is, is that 40% of them uh, had a miscarriage. Um, of this subset of women, the 1,981 women who had been exposed, uh, that means they were either injected just before they found out they were pregnant or during their pregnancy. Uh, only 4% reported having their babies delivered. And of that 4%, God, this is just crazy. I'm, I'm like, I did this today and I'm reading it back. And it's, it's insane. 42% um, of those, uh, that 4% reported premature births. Um, this is, to, to me, that's, again, it's, it's absolutely 100% enough to, to stop, at least stop the promotion of these products into pregnant women. There never was any data to, to prove that these products are safe for pregnant women. There simply does not exist long-term safety data. So that's the thing. And I know it's a long answer to your question, but whatever you decide to examine in the context of what they've already kind of outlined in their, according to their own data, their own protocols, and by they, I mean the pharmaceutical companies or the CDC or the FDA, you can find something that is like evidence enough to to shut yes. it down. Yes, that that's what's scary. That you don't even have to go into all the different studies and observations everyone's made, but just the documents that we know our government has and Pfizer has. 
every yes, time something goes you. wrong, you, you cross-check and there's it's there. Or every time, like, I have someone on and, and they got this crazy injury and I'm like, oh, I never heard of that. I go into that Pfizer confidential, you know, February 28th document and it's there. You know, those eight pages yeah. of like 13, 1400 elements, however many are there, eight pages straight, they're always there. So they knew about it. Um, it's not like we're pulling this out of a rabbit. So you're saying that that this concern that everyone's seeing with birth rates being down, still births up in, in, in some countries, you you might have a safety signal in VAERS itself now. Oh, it's not might. Like, it, it's, it's not a large uh, number of people, but that's not the point. The thing is, if you like, you, you almost have your 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 background and normalization built in. The, these are two thousand women, nineteen hundred and eighty-one women, who were definitively exposed. They were injected with these products, either pre or during pregnancy. Who, like fifty percent of them, experienced a miscarriage. That's and and these are just the people whose pediatricians or gynecologists or whoever wrote the VAERS report, these are just the people who bothered to write the reports. Yes. I have to point that out as well. Like, these are just the ones we know about. Because but that's going to be very disconnected. That's going to be, in my mind, I mean, yeah. uh, isn't it correct to assert that something like this is going to be much more underreported because it's just too much of a lag time than, let's say, myocarditis? Well, I, I don't know, but uh, I can guarantee you that it's definitely going to be underreported probably primarily because no one will make the connection there will be no um like i really understand that from one point of view because i used to be that person but when you're when you're me for example and you're looking at this data every day it's like impossible not to see that there's a one-to-one -one, you know correlation here it's like one thing is coming after the other in, in very short temporal proximity, and it's unusual for that person. So th this is, it's not proof, but it's very strong evidence of a causal effect. And if it's happening in a subpopulation of women, then that's even more evidence. And if you're talking about half of the women in this population of 2,000 women. And by the way, I might add that these are the same comparable numbers that they use to, to say this was completely safe and effective for general the general population in their clinical trials. Um, way more when you talk about the, the so-called studies they did in children uh, in many cases. So half of them, half of them reported a miscarriage. I mean, it's it's... If nothing else, I mean, beyond a safety signal, which again, this is what VAERS is designed to do, this absolutely needs to be investigated. And, and, and again, if this is a repeating theme in different countries, you know what I mean? It's like, it's definitely something that needs to be examined. It's, it's not anecdotal, it's not hogwash, it's not, you know, circumstantial, it's happening to women. What, what do we know about, you mentioned exposure, you know, you, that you could be exposed to the vaccine, even if a pregnant woman didn't get it. So let's just talk about the general population, pregnant, not pregnant. Everyone wants to know about the shedding issue. You know, 
what we um, know, what we don't know about it, and if it could potentially shed, does that almost ruin the control group, or are the is the data pretty clear that most of these kind of you know strokes and heart ailments are clearly the died suddenly clearly from the the vaccinated? Oh man, I don't I don't know how to say. I still don't have an answer about the shedding, but what I can tell you um, is that I get emails constantly from nurse practitioners, from obgins, from from doctors on the ground who are telling me. I, I'm trying to find this email I got today. I, I think I have it, and I want to read it to you if it's the right one. Um, well, while while you look for that, while while we're on this discussion, so again, the shedding—I mean, that's the big question mark. There are some studies out there um, that indicate, you know, that that there w w might be some sort of shedding, but maybe that's intense contact, not just kind of casually passing someone. Um, so that might right. put like children at risk. That children of parents. They're in the same household. They hug them. So, so they would be a prime candidate for that. But the big one, the other big question everyone's concerned about, I get emails all the time, is the blood supply. I mean, you know, you have a blood bank. It's sitting there, let's say, I don't know how often they have a turnover, but presumably sitting there for a while. Is it safe to say that over time it would attenuate and, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about the mRNA? Uh, I would not say that, No. Uh, I am not a hematologist, but, and this is only my opinion, but I would never get a blood transfusion from someone who'd been injected with these transfecting agents because we simply, and, and hear me well, everyone, we simply do not know what we're going to get transferred into us because they're not screening for these kinds of things, okay? And the example that I've been using when people ask me about this, because it's a very pertinent question, um, is that we, we screen for viruses like HIV. We don't want to mess up again and pass the blood from someone who's HIV positive, for example, onto somebody who isn't. So we screen for these things, but there's no way to screen out any possible products or byproducts from these shots from a donor. So my personal take is um, we need to start doing that, first of all, uh, which means that we have to acknowledge that it, there might be a problem, which means. So, so D Dr. Rose, obviously, they don't want to acknowledge the problem. And the big problem everyone seems to know about or anyone who's willing to open their eyes is the problem of died suddenly. It's, it's a pretty big civilization problem. Um, that's now starting to become ubiquitous enough that people could could identify it in known public figures. You're now seeing known people all over the place, younger, just die, died suddenly. Could you describe a little bit, because I was a little bit confused, I was just trying to quickly read your substack on this, what you did on died suddenly with theirs to try to link it back to the vaccine? Sure, Um before I close the window on that note that I got from someone in reference to shedding, can I just read that to you before I switch? Oh, screens? you got the email. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's a note on, on my Substack. So this is the kind of message I get constantly. So I take note of all of these messages because these are coming from people on the ground. She writes, I'm a nurse bedside. 
Two co-workers had miscarriages during the first round of vaccinations. Neither of them had taken it at the time. I try not to think about too much about the negative impacts of those of us who have refused have, uh, have incurred due to simply being around those who've taken it. I've developed sudden onset hearing loss and worsening of my tinnitus. First thing my ENT asked was if I'd taken the vax. So the reason I wanted to read that out is because everybody is wondering about this yes. because it's based on a personal experience. And you like something is definitely going on in the realm of shedding. It's probably proteins. I can't imagine why everyone wouldn't be shedding these proteins. And so it lends to the idea that whatever's in the proteins is probably not doing good things to human physiology. But beyond that, it's really hard to measure. Uh, it, it would take a very um, a, a genius person to design a study that would be able to identify that, yes, shedding was happening in a specific context. Uh, I, you know, maybe I'll do that one day. <laughs> I mean, look, kidding. I've heard before, you know, women with menstrual issues saying that they started experiencing it even though they didn't get the shot. Um, I mean, I don't think it's in the same numbers, even if it's true. Um, perhaps, I mean, if you have something to say about this, that, you know, there's there's like the died suddenly syndromes, and then there's things like immune suppression. And I wonder if the latter is more of a concern that there's more RSV being passed around um, that we seem to see in the Moderna trial uh, co correlated with a higher rate at a small sample size, but a higher rate of, of RSV among those who got the shot. So maybe once you have a whole population of people that are immunocompromised getting this, maybe, you know, those ailments could spread to other people. Um, is, is that a bigger concern that just, you know, we're just going to have a lot more sicknesses being passed around? I, I think uh, the more relevant thing to focus on is the state of the immune system of the people, like you pointed out. Um, there's, you know, we, we're surrounded by pathogens and viruses all the time. And the, I, I believe firmly that the the reason for differences in um, degrees of sickness, for example, from a flu or a cold virus or RSV, is the state of the immune system. And that can be age-related. It could be chronological age or it could be immune age. Um, so this is concerning because there's a lot of data in the form of peer-reviewed studies and case studies and also pharmacovigilance data that indicates that these things are causing immune suppression and at the very least immune dysregulation. So this is concerning because um, the number one adverse event reported to VAERS right now and for the past few months is COVID-19. So think about that. Um, it lends credibility to the, the other uh, uh, evidence that's coming in that states that susceptibility is increased in people who've had one, two, three, or four shots, susceptibility to SARS. And, and it's not really susceptibility to SARS per se alone, it's the degree to which the person gets ill. Uh, if you understand what I'm, I'm you know, the, the description that I just gave, so. But, but then once uh, those people are more susceptible to the illnesses, I mean, wouldn't that just create a greater prevalence of it in the world that would, you know, people that are unvaccinated wouldn't necessarily be protected from it? 
Well, I think people who are un, uninjected <laughs> uh, would be far more protected from everything because their uh, general immune uh, age and condition is is going to be better if it's not buggered by this transfection agent uh, to which we, we still haven't really clearly defined the effects, you know, physiologically. It's, um, you know, I, it, it's, it's a tricky subject because I, I don't want to freak anyone out who's been injected, who's worried, because I also get a lot of people asking me about that. Because you know what? The truth of the matter is we can't predict it. We can't predict what's going to happen in, in the case of anyone. You, you can't just say, well, this person had three shots, so they're doomed. No, it really depends what they got. We have no idea what's in that needle when it goes into your arm. And I am not being, you know, litigious here. It's, we have no idea. We really don't. Um, so you could have gotten something innocuous because the product wasn't stored properly, for example. You could have gotten a, a, a placebo, for all we know. I mean, we, we really haven't um, done the legwork to find out, uh, you know, manufacturer by manufacturer, site by site, vax lot by vax lot, exactly what's in these vials. So I, I also think, I, I went on a bit of a rant here, but I think this also explains a lot of the variability uh, with regard to the adverse events, because it's not everybody who's having, who's suffering, actually, the majority of people are not, and <laughs> they actually don't even believe that there is such a thing as being vaccine injured, let alone yep. people being injured by these specific products. So, um, And I think these surveys one- are showing that, you know, like it showed that this Rasmussen survey showed 56 percent didn't seem to experience anything in, in, in their yep. own words. And among the other 44, most of them. Um, were probably minor, but then you know about seven percent had significant, and and it seems like you know that that that's a that's a holocaust for for a globe yes. where five point five billion people it, got it, but you know yes, politically, it, majority of people could say yeah, didn't really bother me, you know that's it's fine, yeah. and I think that kind of explains the dynamic we see. So that that leads us to this died suddenly, um, where we're yes. seeing all this everywhere. Now, if you could do this, I know that at CDC they have people that probably are doing this but won't publicize it. So explain what you did to try to connect the dots with, with some cases of died suddenly and, um, and the shots. All right. So I, the day before, I think it was yesterday, and December, no, two days ago, I decided to, um, uh, I was inspired to pull out the word sudden from theirs. Uh, I start big with my keyword searches and then I, I narrow it down to, to get to like people who actually reported having died suddenly, for example. So I wanted to see the, the cloud of adverse events that are um, in, you know, implicated with sudden events. So I, I did so and there were 13,752 uh, but amazingly, over 2,000 of them died. So 2,052 people died. Um, but what was really interesting was that 80% of the people who died suddenly had no current illnesses at the time mm. of their injection. Healthy. Uh, 70, uh, I'm sorry, that was the general population of sudden reports, like sudden onset cardiac arrest. 
77%, it's just as bad, of individuals who died uh, suddenly had no current illnesses at the time of injection. Um, I can read you uh, the, the current illness um, text uh, in, in VAERS here. This person was given a clean bill of health uh, three days prior to her sudden death. A clean bill of health from a gyne uh, that she regularly saw died within four days of first dose. Um, this other person it was a little older. This person was 89, so a lot of people would say, oh, it's just because they were old. But this person had their, the, the person who filed this report, which presumably was um, their uh, a physician, because approximately 70% of reports are filed by physicians, had written in no current illnesses, none, in perfect health. This person died of cardiac arrest within 20 days of injection. And I don't know the dose number here because it wasn't written down. So, you know, these are just a couple of anecdotal um, reports uh, or, or texts to give people an idea that these people are, the, the reports that are being filed in VAERS for people who died, in, died suddenly were healthy um, prior. and. I mean, it's almost more implicating because, you know, older people tend to, um, they visit their doctors more. Uh, maybe they're on uh, some kind of medication or uh, whatever. So they're seeing their doctor more and they're traced better. So these people are saying, no, these people were healthy. This was extremely out of the ordinary and out of the blue. Something else caused this. And in terms of the time frame, in general, between the injection date and the onset, uh, in 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 general, of sudden reports, 78.6% of the reports were filed within seven days. That that means they got into bears within seven days. Wow. That is a turnaround. And for the sudden deaths, 74.1 were in VAERS within seven days. Half of them, 52, were, were, were within 48 hours, my friend. 52.1%. So this is a hugely fast turnaround. Um, so this was, uh, again, they're not large numbers, but it's the story around the event, which is strange in and of itself. Um, one, one thing I didn't look at, which I'm thinking about now, which would be interesting to know, which would be easy to find uh, if, I, if I wasn't live with you, <laughs> is the average age of the people who suddenly died. Because yes. I imagine it's not old. You know what? I'm just going to run that. Th th that's what I think everyone would be interested in. Because, again, whenever you get with anyone over life expectancy, they'll say, oh, they would have died anyway or whatever. Um, but, you know, we're certainly seeing the safety signals with younger people. The other thing, speaking of younger people, the other thing people want to know, and this is the real emotional puller, is when you, when you talk about, okay, short term, I don't think this is experimental anymore. I think we know that it could potentially affect every single organ system, um, the thousands of categories of maladies we find in VAERS. But the long term is really the question now. And the 800-pound gorilla in the room with that, or one of them, because you have a few, there's autoimmune diseases, but is cancer. Um, you know, a lot of what I'm hearing is just from radiologists on the ground, pathologists, 
oncologists, and it seems to be a murmur that you can't ignore anymore. But are you seeing that data-wise in theirs, or is just that something that people just don't trace back and file theirs reports for? Oh, no, no. Um, the, the reports of cancer uh, in theirs has been, th there are a lot of them. I, I can tell you exactly. Okay, I, I, just, I just ran the code. Let me tell you what the average age is. Um, just have to go to the so again, this here. is the average age on the diet suddenly. Oh, where is it? Or I, I'm gonna have to add a new. Yeah, so you'll text. you'll you'll but let me the, know with that. But with, with the cancers, are they mainly like blood-based cancers? Uh, that's a really good question. Yes, there are a lot of blood-based cancers. There are. This is the thing that makes it striking. It's not just the absolute counts of cancer reports. It's the types that are being reported mm. to theirs. There are rare cancers being reported to VAERS. Um, acute lymphocytic leukemia is typically uh, something that occurs in children, and it's being reported in excess in VAERS, in excess according to the past five years of VAERS data uh, for all vaccines combined is what I mean. And they're being reported in excess in um, older people. The average age uh, of the person who's filing a report to VAERS for ALL is 50. We have breast cancers in males. I mean, Ooh. come on now. Jeez. Yeah, th this, is a, this is a thing in theirs. Um, I need to sit down with Ryan Cole soon and, and have a really long conversation about what both of us are seeing because we need to converge, you know, from, from the, the pathology lab and clinic to the data because both of us are seeing the same thing. So just to put this into context, um, I, I do have a couple of charts which I literally just updated now for David Wiseman. Um, he's gonna be on Dr. Drew tomorrow and he's gonna be talking about this. Um, the, the number of cancer reports to VAERS for just 2021 in the context of the Moderna, the Pfizer, the Janssen, and the Novavax shots is over 12,000. And that compares to the past five years of data collected um, for all vaccines combined, all of them, which is a lot, um, where you have 250, 225, 321, 332, and 313 over the past five years. So the average is somewhere hovering around 300. Again, that's compared to 12,000. And if you normalize the data to the total number of reports, it's still far well it, it's it's a stands out like a sore thumb the average is uh i don't know something like 500 the the per 100,000 total aes yep. for the past 5 years and it's close to 1500 for for the the just three products per 100,000 so again there's no comparison there's something it, Again, I, I have to reiterate, anything you look for in theirs right now is, is abnormal. And historically, we only needed a handful of, you know, some kind of adverse event that was out of the ordinary in order to pull a product. We Which needed a handful. We like Toyota's airbags, you know, they're forever right. getting recalled. And, you know, who knows if there's even a problem with them. Uh, for for you know yeah. one or two little things and 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 this is just that's crazy because I gotta believe that with the cancers that really is underreported 
because it's hard to know how many doctors are going to trace it back to that. Exactly. And you're right. There is uh, one of the standalone adverse events where I do observe a lag where, you know, a substantial amount of reporting is not being done in the first seven days is cancer. There are like humps going along the, the trajectory of reports, you know, since the, the, the onset of the rollout. So some people are reporting their cancers um, to bears in the context of these shots. But you're right. I mean, it's how many people are going to draw that line? How many physicians, uh, even if they suspect there might be a line, just won't do it because they're not incentivized to do so, et cetera, et cetera. This is the tip of the iceberg, my friend. Like, bears is functioning really well as a pharmacovigilance tool. The safety signals going off here are, it's like I said, you can just have an idea, pick something, throw a dart, you're going to find something. And it's, it, it, that sounds bad. I mean, it's not throwing a dart. Is there anything but this it's thing doesn't a- do? Is it just a function of the LNPs that just get this thing everywhere? Uh, yes, it is a function of the lipid nanoparticles being able to go everywhere. That's very important for everyone to understand. Um, but it's also, in my opinion, a function of where they end up uh, getting, accumulating, and then dumping their payload, and how much of the payload, which is this modified mRNA, is actually um, still you know, readily available to be produced uh, to, to be translated into protein. This is a big question. We don't know how many complete spike templates we have. That's why I said we don't know what people are actually getting injected with. It really depends on so many things. Russian roulette. And it also depends. Yeah, precisely. There's no better way to describe this. You're taking, you're taking a chance. And that depends on on a number of things that we cannot predict. We could have if we'd done the work, if, if, you know, the problems had been acknowledged last January. I'm sorry, two Januaries ago. You know what I mean? It's unbelievable that here we are. We're talking about died suddenly, cancers, autoimmune, all the cardiac stuff, neurological, um, you know, premature births and stillbirths, uh, miscarriages. And it's like, this is civilization. You couldn't even have found, have found a policy issue more profound than this. And, and just breaking news now, um, first governor, we finally have, the, uh, Ron DeSantis has announced that he is going to ask the Florida Supreme Court to impanel a grand jury to investigate vaccine injury within the state. So hopefully, uh, maybe we can get you as a witness in front of that grand jury to present some of this data which, again, is not your private stash. It's something that we spend millions of dollars with contracts on to have CDC or have someone within CDC administer this and overlook it. Um, but I don't – I mean, this is crazy. This is, this is utterly crazy. So anyway, Dr. Dr. Jessica, um, we're rapidly running out of time here. Um, we're, we're pretty much over time here, but obviously we do have – this this grand jury that hopefully will be impaneled in Florida. We got Senator Johnson doing his thing at a federal level. Um, do you st- still think VAERS, VSAFE, is the most important pharmacovigilance tool, 
or is there somewhere we need to something we need to develop that goes even further? Um, well, those are two different things. We do need to develop uh, a better system, um, but we could also improve theirs. Um, at the time, I think theirs is. Listen, I've been. This is what I've been telling people. If they shut bears down tomorrow, if the CDC and FDA said, "Nah, there's too many like annoying, you know, uh, Scooby Doo mystery solvers hovering around bears," let's shut it down. It wouldn't even matter because we have so much evidence in what we already have. We don't need anything else. There's one chart that anybody needs to see, and that's the number of adverse event reports. You can, you can show the severe ones alone if you want. There are enough compared to the number of severe adverse event reports. Normalize the data against the last 30 years of data for all vaccines combined. That's the only thing you need to show. And um, I would be honored to, to give uh, evidence and testimony. And I was actually meant to be at Senator Johnson's roundtable, but um, I wasn't able to travel <laughs> for some. Yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of far away, but we will need you. We will need you in the future. Yes. Um, thanks for being so vigilant with this pharmacovigilance for almost two years. And we're still in this position, but hopefully we're rapidly turning a corner. Thanks so much for joining us. We are out of time, folks, till tomorrow. God bless you all. Thank you for listening.